And good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. This is session number two of season six, the Baron and Luthien season. Uh, as we return this evening after our first introductory session of A Fortnight Ago, and we return to the villains tonight, it is time to figure out what exactly Sauron was doing with himself. And even more puzzlingly, what does he go on to do with himself after he gets... Uh, uh, his butt kicked by an elf girl and her dog. So, that, and not, not to mention the fact we have the even more tantalizing and mysterious question of what exactly happened to Thurin Gwethel. We need to do a full forensic examination to try to figure out Thurin Gwethel's cause of death, which is wholly mysterious in the text. Um, is, is, is she the only example of a character whom we are introduced to in Tolkien posthumously like that. Like we don't, we, we don't meet her until she's a corpse. I mean, there are people we only find out about like, you know, historical figures that we only find out about afterwards. Right. But like, is there any other example in Tolkien of like, let me introduce you to this character. She's lying dead right now. In fact, this is just her pelt. Right. You know, I, Theodred, probably Theodred. Okay. Theodred. Theodred was dead to begin with. Yeah, there is at least problem. at least he's he's courteously off screen. We don't get his we don't, we don't we don't get his in the movie. You get his body in the book. We don't get his body in the same way. So there's probably at least one or two people mentioned from the Battle of Pelennor Fields who are mentioned posthumously. I, right, I, right. I don't know for certain, but that seems like a place where that would happen, where he extols the various deeds of people who you've never people met. People that, that we've never met before, sure. Yeah, we don't definitely don't get introduced to all of those folks. Yeah, but anyway, it is time. It is time to solve the mystery of Thurin Gwethel, um, especially to give her, and of course, most importantly, to give her a fitting end to her storyline uh, because we have given her, of course well, I think it's fair to say an infinitely larger early storyline <laughs> than she had in Tolkien's text, which was zero. So, um, anyway, that is what we are up to tonight. Welcome, everybody. And, of course, I am joined this evening again by Marie Prosser and uh, you know, the other guy. <laughs> Nick Poazza, I've not totally forgotten your name. I just had a moment. I, I like, yeah, it's me. It's I'm me. so devastated. <laughs> yeah. Given one of the things that I, re, I rem, that that really caught my attention when I first started listening to your podcast, when uh, or rather when I first started commenting on things, is that you were one of the few people who pronounced my last name correctly on the first try without any hesitation so i appreciate that yeah thank you well that's i i that was probably luck on my part but that's excellent i'm i'm glad to hear that um anyway so thank you guys for joining me again tonight um uh, just a a couple quick announcements before we get going i wanted to remind people about our space program which is underway we have uh we're actually in the 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 penultimate week of our very first round of modules here in december which has been uh which has been we've had a wonderful participation we've got 45 folks uh 44 folks uh who are taking uh space modules with us this month we have seven 
uh, confirmed modules that we're running in January, and I encourage you to look at those. Go to signumuniversity.org slash space, uh, and you will see the seven, including, we've got some really fun ones uh, this time. You know, things like you can learn Old English, you can learn Latin, you can, uh, if you already know Old English, uh, you can be reading some, uh, uh, reading Old English together uh, with folks to keep up your Old English. We've got uh, a, a one of the ones that I'm really excited about, a new module on Tolkien's invented languages. If you've always been curious to learn more about Tolkien's languages, if you're one of those Tolkien readers who is like, okay, like you don't like to confess to your Tolkien fan friends that you don't really know any Elvish at all, right? Like you can't make any sense of it. This is the perfect module for you, right? Because what uh, uh, James Tauber and Elise uh, Trudel Cedeno are teaching this together. And what they're going to be doing is they're going to be starting from the Lord of the Rings, right? So from uh, looking at the pattern of Elvish word and name usage in the Lord of the Rings and helping you sort of construct... Like what, what do we learn about how the Elvish languages work? So starting the process of beginning to, you know, not just like starting it like it's a boring language class, right? Like let's just like memorize a whole bunch of paradigms and things about how Elvish works. Instead, it's really coming from the story and out of the story. How do we, how can we begin learning just from reading The Lord of the Rings uh, about Tolkien's invented languages and how they're working and how he's deploying them? So that's what that's, that module is going to be in January. It's going to be really cool. They're actually uh, offering a follow-up module in uh, February uh, on Tolkien's writing systems. Uh, so, uh, Tolkien's scripts and things. So anyway, there's uh, lots of, uh, fun. We've also got another, uh, fun Tolkien module that's running in January. Um, uh, Tolkien's Ents in the Environment. Uh, so looking at, uh, uh, sort of the question of environmentalism in Tolkien, especially focusing on his depiction of the Ents and sort of what that tells us, uh, about all this. So anyway, this and more. Uh, our first anime uh, module is running in January as well on some of the films of Miyazaki. So there's so much fun stuff that's happening uh, in January. And we have uh, announced we're offering even more awesome modules for February, uh, which you can still select among uh, and see what you're interested in, including really cool stuff like I already mentioned the Tolkien's Writing Systems module. Um, we're offering a module on Babylon 5. Oh, man, like, it's going to be awesome. So um, uh, encourage you to look in, uh, into that. And uh, registration for our spring classes at Signum in, in our grad program is now open. Um, thanks to Goldberry. Goldberry is uh, uh, what we have. So we have a brand new registration system. And, uh, of course, you know, at mostly at, at most colleges, how like the, the software that they use for registration and stuff has a name. We named ours Goldberry, uh, uh, mostly because, you know, people who go to sign up for classes, uh, as it were, knocking on the door of a woodman's cot, find the door opened by a fair young elf queen dressed in living flowers. That's kind of the experience that students at Signum have when they sign up for classes. So we're like, yeah, Goldberry. Um, so anyway, uh, Goldberry is awesome. Uh, it is this, uh, this custom registration system that's been designed just for Signum, and it is just like the coolest thing ever. Uh, so, But anyway, you can now use... Goldberry, uh, get Goldberry's help in signing up for your uh, spring classes. So, uh, definitely want to encourage folks to do that. Um, we've got a really fun if you're uh, if you're interested in auditing. We've got some uh, f two brand new courses we've never offered before uh, for our linguistic folks, for our philologists. Uh, we have a course in Old Saxon. Um, 
I think there are <laughs> there are not a whole lot of other universities in the world that are offering a course in Old Saxon, I would just add. Um, and of course, we also have a brand new lecture course uh, on the, the return of the king, the return of King Arthur, um, looking at especially 20th century adaptations uh, of King Arthur, uh, King Arthur's story. Really, really awesome class. But anyway, all right, let us get back to film film stuff. So here we are. In Balerian, as always, uh, Murray, thank you as always for providing me the map so I can go back and stare at it and find new things that I've never really noticed before, um, uh, as I am always want to do every time. Okay, so today we're talking about the villains, and we have to, first of all, kind of define what we're doing because we want, want it to be clear what's happening here tonight. Um, and uh, you know, in general, in the past, when we've talked about our villain storyline, we've been talking about the Angband storyline. You know, we've been talking about Morgoth, or actually less so, less often. More, I mean, sometimes what Morgoth is up to, but more often we've been talking about like Gothmog and Sauron and Glaurung and uh, you know, and figuring out because they're the boots on the ground. You know, when it comes to the villain storyline, uh, as it were, Morgoth has been kind of behind the scenes uh, for uh, much of the time, except for his embarrassing altercation with the High King. Um, but in this, uh, I know one of the things that was under discussion on our discussion boards was this whole question about, like, well, who counts as a villain? Basically, when we're thinking about villain storylines, who counts as a villain? Um, and uh, I'm not going to count, like, poor Dairon, um, uh as a as a villain, uh, nor even Thingol. Um, what I want to focus... I mean, there are certainly... There are others who are going to be antagonists in various contexts. But most of the rest of them are going to be part of other storylines that we really want to think about and work out separately, right? I mean, obviously, Kelgorm and Kurofin are, are villains, uh, certainly when it comes to this season. But we're not going to talk about them separately. We're going to talk about them in the context of working out, you know, the, um, uh, the Nargothrond storyline. Uh, all the way through. Um, similarly, Dairon and Thingol, when we talk about the uh, when we talk about the the, the Doriath storyline and how that's going to work, both at the beginning and end uh, of the Baron and Luthien story. Um, so there are only really two and a half uh, characters who really count as sort of these central villain figures in uh, uh, in the storyline that we're going to focus on here tonight. Sauron, obviously. Thorin Gwethel, obviously. The half one is Bulldog, right? As Bulldog is relevant to this because we know um, this is indeed where the character of Bulldog comes from, right? I mean, we, the, we, the, the whole existence of Bulldog, practically, um, is the reference to him leading an invasion, an attempted invasion into Doriath um, uh, and being killed uh, for it. Um, in the Lay of Lathian, that's alluded to that that happens at this time, though it's not described in much detail. We don't get too much about it. Um, but anyway, so therefore, in as much as there is a, you know, uh, sort of conservative textual adaptation of Bulldog, he's supposed to die in battle, ideally with Thingol, uh, during this season. Um, so the what I'm counting as a half question as far as uh, villains are concerned is what are we going to do with him? Not that that's not an interesting question in itself, um, but, um, but he's not a central villain. One way or another, he's not a central villain in this, in this storyline. So today, we're going to focus primarily 
uh, we're going to focus primarily on uh, Sauron and Thurin Gwethel. Uh, now, Nathan on YouTube was asking, will Galadriel have an expanded role in this version of the Baron and Luthien story? It is very likely, yes. Um, uh, in, well, expanded beyond what it is in the book? Yes. <laughs> that, that, that we can promise, <laughs> given that she's not in it at all. Um, and we, I, we can't possibly avoid her. We've already set up her relationship with Luthien. So, like, the bare minimum, like, the absolute minimum that Galadriel would be in this, she would have to come in at the end um, in Assyrian, right? I mean, like, the, she would have to be involved somewhere in the, um, in the retirement to... to I mean, we'd have to at least, like, run into her on the way to Assyrian. Like, and I don't, I don't think we would we would have any desire to keep Galadriel and Luthien's stories apart. Now, exactly what role and how much of a role that is yet to be determined. Um, and that is to me actually a pretty interesting question. Um, one of the things that we talked about with Galadriel was that, um, Nick, I think you were the one who was emphasizing last time that we don't want to, um, we moved her along a lot, her character development a lot in season four, and we don't want to, be too hasty with her. She has we need to pace ourselves with Galadriel. She has a long ways to go and she needs to maybe have uh, have a downward turn so that things start to get a little more ominous, right? Yeah, she she needs to not have arrived quite yet, right? Yeah. Um, the problem is going to be how to have her have any kind of a, of a backslide with Celeborn at her side in a way that doesn't make Celeborn look wimpier than people already think he is. I was going to say, because we would not want to make Celeborn look weak, man. I mean, that's that's clearly... (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. So, we will, and looks like uh, JJ48 also had similar concerns. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but we can we, 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 we can have Kelborn just flexing all over the place, and and right, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, he's got to tone himself I, down. I highly <laughs> recommend that at some point we have a nice long discussion about Galadriel's future arc and yeah. how we're going to develop that. Yeah, because we do need to take a long view on that and prepare how we're going to pace ourselves with that. Um, yeah, yeah. We're not going to talk about that now. That's not going to happen. I will say only one word. Eregian. Eregian. I think Eregian is going to be one of the highlights, needs to be one of the highlights of Galadriel's subsequent career. For good and for ill. That's going to be one of the crises. But, um, hence... And, of course, the real tragedy is we're not going to get a chance to do it before Amazon does, as I assume that's going to be happening in September. Uh, but I, I, I can't even care about the way they're doing. Until, like, I'll watch it, and it'll, either it'll be good or not. And um, I have no say in what happens there, so I'm not going to feel that's that That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, okay. But... Uh, this is me not talking about Galadriel anymore. So, because we're talking about Sauron, and there is enough to talk about. Uh, and it was, I'm going to shift to that just before Marie can finish putting on her I thought we were going to talk about Sauron expression, which she was just starting to do. So, 
Sauron is our primary villain, not only this season, but in the all of film film, right? I mean, this is a huge deal. This is yeah, just as I am implying, Regan is going to be a really key moment for Galadriel's entire arc, right? It's going to be a really important moment. Um, this is a really important moment for Sauron, right? This is gonna. This is a. This is a pivotal occasion in in Sauron's. However many years this ends up being, you know, in Sauron's like twenty-five year arc, uh, from his conversion, you know, to uh, uh, to Melkor allegiance back in season one, all the way to the fall of Barad-dûr at the end of season whatever it is when we get there. Um, this is a this is I'm not saying the crucial moment, but it's a this is a turning point in his career, right? This is this is a this is a big deal. Um, and it's not only his defeat that's a big deal, right? I mean, that's one of the things that we're talking about, and I know that many people on the discussion boards were talking about. We don't want to just have this, like, you know, Sauron is going along, business as usual, right? Like, things are, there he is, minding his own business, when all of a sudden he gets ambushed, you know, by a girl and her dog. Like, that's not how it works, right? He has made a change. Like, when he sets up in Minas Tirith, as was, right, um... This is a new look for him. This is he's doing a different thing that he's never done before. He's putting himself out there in a way that he's never put himself out there before. He's been totally behind the scenes uh, kind of villain to this point. We've seen him a lot. Like we've emphasized a lot what he's done, um, but he has not really put himself. I, I mean, if we think about it, how many, how many, and to what extent? How many of the, of the elves, of the good guys in our story, know who Sauron is and what he's doing? Some, right? Some. Adelos knows who he is. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah. But yeah. She uh, she's uh, dead. Angrod is tolerably familiar with him, too. But, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but again, uh, now deceased. Again, he would have told folks. Um, that was the one contact, really. I mean, yeah, we, we know that he was. Who, he's the one who captured Midras. Yeah, it's true. Right. Okay, I forgot about that. So, I forgot about yeah. that. Okay. Mo- I mean, but you're making a very valid point that most of his interactions have been in obscure ways with very limited contact, and not very little. Recognition, exactly. I mean, like, so he's been, he was the one who was, he was the guy who was trying to, uh, you know, he was, he was, you know, uh, Captain Buzzkill at the Marathadarthad before, right? But nobody knew that, right? Nobody, nobody really found out who it was who was doing that. Um, And that's been true of a lot of things. Like, there have been a lot of things that he has done that other people have suffered from, but mostly they didn't know that it was him who was doing it or who was leading it. I mean, he was even responsible for the attack on Doriath that led to the girdle, right? Um, You know, the spider attack that we we did. Um, But nobody knew that. I mean, you know, none of the good guys knew that, you know, who he was or that there was, you know, they just knew there were a whole bunch of spiders attacking them. Right. So. Um, so, again, the, the, the viewer will have been familiar with him. Right. Familiar with his style, with what he's been trying to do. will know something about his conflict with Gothmog uh, and the very different approaches that he and Gothmog have taken. We'll have seen the conflict 
indirect conflict, even, between Morgoth and Sauron, right? Have seen Morgoth kind of, you know, ride roughshod over Sauron on a couple occasions, most notably with the creation of the orcs, right? Um, and then um, sort of the spell bottomless dread stuff as well, right? Um, what, was the other, what was the other moment we were recently talking about that we were paralleling to the orc moment? When Morgoth comes in and does something more, like, brutally than... Wasn't there something? The Spell of Bottomless Dread is, is definitely a good example. Um, I can't think off the top of my head of something else. Um, he he uh, maybe, it's, Sauron, maybe it's the Spell of Bottomless Dread I was thinking of. We did have Sauron make Grand, which mm-hmm. uh, Morgoth then used to not super overwhelmingly good effect. <laughs> right, right. The decision to have the Battle of Sudden Flame when it happened was Morgoth's decision. Right. Sauron would not have chosen that time. Right. Or, you know, so he so as far as the heavy-handedness kind of thing or springing plans before they're really fully ready. Yeah. Sauron has been in a position to sit back and be very critical of decisions that are being made over his head. You know, if I were in charge, this would all be better, has been Sauron's motto for a really long time now. Like, that was how he views Gothmog, and then when Morgoth returned, he hasn't quite managed to say that very much, but that's how he feels about Morgoth. Yeah. Morgoth's return, so, since Morgoth's return, Morgoth has been a disappointment to Sauron since his return from Valinor, right? I mean, that's fair to say, yes. right? I mean, ever since the Orc incident, ever since he wrecked Sauron's, you know, the whole Dark Elf experiment, uh, now, ever, ever since then, it's been, and he's been watching um, Morgoth uh, disperse himself, right? Weaken himself yeah. uh, in his attempts to dominate. Um, and of course, the culmination of season five the, with the duel with Fingolfin, it was primarily Sauron. So, I mean, we, the ending note of season five was Sauron's um, doubt, uncertainty, hesitation, reservations about Morgoth, Morgoth's strategy and everything coming very much to the surface, right? Um, ending with a moment of Sauron staring down there, saying, like, man, this is embarrassing, right? Like, this... You can't I'm, I'm not backing a winner dude. here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Am I, did, I, did I back a winner here at all, right? Like, what am I doing? What am I doing here in this, uh, you know, in this, uh, you know, ridiculousness? So, um, that's... That's the note that we're following up on. You know, that's where we ended season five. And that's, I think, what we, re- what we need to make sure we pick up on really importantly. So the, what, is, what Sauron is doing at the start of season six has to be in direct response to that, right? And it would seem to me it would have to be, to some extent, he would have to be saying, all right, I'm going to do it myself, right? Now, like, Sauron is making a different... He's shifting. I'm not saying he's fully gone rogue. Like, he's rebelling against Morgoth 
full out because he's too smart for that. I mean, he knows that even in his weakened, comparatively to himself, weakened state, Morgoth is still far, far more powerful than he is, right? So he's not going to defy Morgoth. He's not going to... Um, uh, he's not going to... not going to rebel. But this sense... I mean, does it, does it seem to make sense that he begins in this place where he's saying, okay, I'm not... I'm not... I'm done... I'm done playing with the team. I'm setting up... On, I'm, I'm doing things myself in my own way, and... I don't care. More or less, something in that direction anyway? Definitely the I can do this better Yes. feeling has been there. Yes. And now he's willing to do something about it. Right. He's been trying to run his own plan and then get frustrated when when that plan gets co-opted by whatever the rest of Bang Band is up to. So now he's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm just running the show. Right. <laughs> and it's going to be the way I say it is. Because I'm not in Angband. And right. he's tired of being Sauron. He's tired of being the abhorred one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to reinvent himself as Thu, the necromancer, right? So one of the things that um, that he does is to... is his activities in Dorthonian kind of, as uh, I was just mentioning to Alana, kind of win him the right to act more on his own mm-hmm. out there in Beleriand. Right? Okay. So, let's talk about necromancy. Let's talk about necromancy. Because, um, on the one hand, obviously... It would be foolish for us not to do the necromancy thing, right? I mean, necromancy and Sauron; these are these are some closely wedded conceptions, right? We cannot, uh, we we if even if we tried to run, we cannot hide from the necromancy. Uh, sooner or later, the necromancy will out, right? When it comes to Sauron's character, so let's uh, let's let's embrace this from the start and see where we are. Okay. Um, now, this was one of the things when we were doing the Morgoth's Ring discussion in the Mythgard Academy last year. This was one of my favorite parts. Um, was when Tolkien, I mean, <laughs> decades after he first wrote about Through the Necromancer, um, decades after he had a character called the Necromancer, which he retroactively decided was Sauron, though it was kind of inspired by Sauron's character in the first place, as in, dark wizard living in a tower in spooky wood, just like the wood that Sauron flew to when he left Baron and Luthien. And, you know, so it's that they were joined from the beginning, right, in Tolkien's mind. And yet, it doesn't seem like at any point in in at, at those times, like when he was writing The Lay of Lathian, when he was writing The Hobbit, uh, or when he was writing uh, even The Lord of the Rings, did he have any clear idea what necromancy was or how it worked? Like, that seemed to be one of the things that he was figuring out after the fact. Like, okay, um, necromancy, brainstorm, how does it work? How does it fit with the, you know, metaphysics of Middle-earth? And short version, what uh, he decided it was is that when elves die, when elves die, when their bodies die, 
their spirits, of course, remain in Arda. They don't leave Arda. Um, and, of course, generally, they go to Mandos. The spirits go to Mandos when they die. So what Tolkien says is, all right, that's an elective process. There's a, it's only an invitation, it's a strong invitation, right? It's a very, very strong suggestion on the part of the Valar that the spirit of the dead elf retire to Mandos at that time, but it's not compelled. And that the spirits of the elves can remain in, um, in Middle-earth if they choose to. But if they do, it goes very badly. They tend to be, uh, they tend themselves to become corrupted, Quickly, they become these shades haunting Middle Earth, and they end up um, uh, they end up falling into darkness, and their own their own wills becoming corrupt by the shadow. It is communication with, manipulation of, uh, and domination of those spirits the spirits, the lingering spirits of dead elves who choose not to go back to Valinor, uh, not, not to go to Mandos. That's what necromancy is. That's how it works. That's what, so this is what Tolkien decided. And again, this was a consequence of him working out more about how the Fea and the Hroa worked, right? How the spirit and the body work uh, in elves in the first place. Um, and then he was like, yeah, okay. Like it's this, 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 this holds together. That works. Um, necromancy means like magically gaining information from the spirits of the dead. Like that's kind of what the word means. Um, and and so he fit the word right by having these uh, these dead elf spirits hovering around uh, that could be manipulated and dominated. So. If, and Nick, I agree, it is certainly very tempting to say that the necromancy angle, this is Sauron's gambit here. Like, this is what differentiates. You know, if Sauron has a new plan, that seems the most logical emphasis for his new plan, right? Almost every other plan that, I mean, he's also, of course, in his time there in Tol and Garhoth, associated with werewolves, Right? But he's already done the werewolf thing, right? Like, the werewolf thing is not a new plan. That's just him continuing to do more of the old werewolf plan. Or, like, doubling down on the werewolf plan. Or, again, in the context of our story, as makes even more sense, Draugluin is one of his primary captains who's still left to Vildo. The only reason it was called the Isle of the... Uh, you know the the, the the Isle of the Werewolves instead of the Isle of the Murder Cats is that Tevilda was already dead <laughs> at this point, right? He's fresh out of Murder Cats, uh, so he only has werewolves left. The inventory is diminishing, and so therefore he it's 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 all about the werewolves, right? Because that's the personnel he's got on hand. Um, and our our backstory for Draglulin in some film is that Sauron gave him the form of the werewolf by pretty much torturing his spirit and yeah. forcing it into that form. So that was already a spirit realm manipulation step in the direction yes. of necromancy. Like the whole reason we had Sauron do it that way was so that 
it would lead to whatever else we want. Right, to set up the necromancy thing. And exactly as Alana was just suggesting, it also is very consonant with his whole approach in his original orc project, right? Um, I'm going to not just um, manhandle right this the these elves and the spirits of these elves i'm going to seduce them i'm going to corrupt them i'm going to 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 change them and bring them into alignment with i'm going to dominate them right but um well not more gently but uh in any case not as crudely right he wanted the the main what what we said at the time was the main thing was he wanted to develop worshipers right and Morgoth just wanted slaves. He just wanted grunts. Um, and Sauron was not... Did, that wasn't his vision, right? His vision was not the mere generation of grunts or the degeneration of them into uh, uh, violence-loving, murder-loving grunts, uh, but rather these, um, you know, sophisticated, still elvish, still even uh, potentially, like, artistic and creative, but turned to evil, worshipping, you know, Morgoth and, you know, who knows, maybe him as well. Um, If, therefore, necromancy turns out to be this, I don't know, almost like a technological advance that Sauron makes, right? Wait a second. The old orc plan, it's not dead, right? I can revive that project. Not in the old way, right? But... There are all these elf spirits floating around. I can work with that, right? And I can try to bring about something similar uh, to what to what I had before. Um, so I have a question. Okay. Could Gorlim and uh, the the wraith of Gorlim be a um, part of like an early attempt to somehow intercept? the uh, the souls of men after mm. death and of course it doesn't work so Gorlum escapes to, to warn Baron what's happened hmm so because one way or another we have to decide whether ghosts human ghosts are a thing at this point <laughs> right and I can't see that we can avoid that. I mean, there's way too much ghostliness in Tolkien down the road. You know, I mean, we're going to have Oathbreakers eventually, so um, uh, we need but to... That, I mean, like, we can kind of blame that on the curse of Isildur. Like, there's yeah. extenuating yeah. circumstances, but, like, Baron, nobody curses Gorlum. Right. I mean, we can have someone correct <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but we have, we have, have candidates. Know, they would yeah. have to know what had happened. Like, ugh. yeah, I, I know. Well, I'm just saying that there's only two people who aren't in the camp when the camp is suddenly attacked, mm-hmm. and it's not going to take a genius to figure out which of the people who's not there is responsible for this happening. Right. So, yes. Uh, some dying men could easily be cursing Gorlin. In our Such as Bari here, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. If we yeah. wanted to do that. If we, we wanted to go to. there. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you, uh, though, Nick, that we have to figure some... Like, we can't just have the ghost of Gorlim show up and because people... Without any explanation at all. Because then people will be like, oh, so there are ghosts now. Were there ghosts before? Like, there's never been a ghost appearing, right? So, um... 
And I agree, it seems a little bit odd to have a spontaneous and unexplained ghost appearance in the very season when we're introducing necromancy and be like, yeah, this is a coincidence. Don't think about that. So, yeah, yeah we should think about not, that. Not to mention, we kind of have to, like, we also can't introduce ghosts suddenly with the Oathbreaker. Like, that's another thing yeah. that we can't Agreed. really... Agree. Like, oh, Agreed. yeah, suddenly yeah. And these I'm, guys I, are... Yeah. And and again, and what I was just saying I is mean, no argument against the ghost of Gorlim. I'm just no. uh, even. I'm just saying yeah. we can't just be like we just, we can't do it without explanation. There has to be some kind I mean, of context. Yeah. To, to be fair, the the Oathbreakers are kind of introduced in the text of the Lord of the Rings without any prior like there's oh, sure. no evidence prior to that that ghosts yeah. were a thing. Well, I mean wraiths, I guess, but but they're or, different. Whereas, and, like as you like to call them, tomb guys. Yes, yes, grave dudes. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Um, <laughs> JJ brings up the shade of Samuel uh, in the Bible, um, who's I, I also a shade who comes out of nowhere, by the way. Yeah. Uh, talk about your unexplained, like, yeah, yeah, the Witch of Endor could practically copyright the that whole gig. She used to but work anyway, for yeah. a wicked, I hear. Yeah, yeah, she, she's... Um, and also the original trademark holder of Endor, who could sue both Tolkien and Lucas. So, uh-huh. you know, I mean, really, um, she could have been a very, very wealthy sorceress indeed, uh, had she had good legal representation. But um, anyway... Uh, Unfortunately, she was, she was practicing legally, so... <laughs> right, it's true. It's true. Yeah, I guess that, that uh, uh, disqualifies her trademark. Anyway, um, okay, so... We're wandering in, in very appropriate ways, semi-appropriate ways now, um, away from the question. So let us, let us hold on to the ghost, the general ghost question. Let us first finish answering the Sauron question. Sauron, we last left Sauron looking down with uh, disapproval, disappointment and disgust at Morgoth being humiliated uh, and making, uh, you know, embarrassing himself in his duel with Fingolfin, right? He, that was he where we up, left he, he picks up the shards of Ringle in the very last moment that we see. Sauron does. Yes. Sauron does, yeah. Okay. Right. So, again, our very first responsibility at the beginning of the season is to show where does Sauron go from there? Like, what exactly does that... What That gives him the impetus to do what exactly? And, um, and I think that... I think we're all sort of agreed that going out more on his own, um, at the very least, kind of taking his orbit a little further away from Morgoth. Not flying off, right? Not open defiance, nothing like that. That's not his... It's not his M.O., right? Um, but looking increasingly to feather his own nest, right? Um, and he's decided he's going to set up on his own. So this brings me then to the necromancy thing. 
This is going to be a new innovation. No one's done the necromancy thing before. We've not even introduced the idea that there are the spirits of dead elves floating around. Right now, by the way, what better time to introduce the concept of the spirit of dead elves floating around than right after a battle where we've seen thousands of elves slaughtered, right? Um, There's going to be a rich harvest for necromancy in Beleriand just now, right? Um, So, great. Okay. Um, That would seem to provide the opportunity where Sauron suddenly does, you know, and again, like, we can't have, you know, this whole, like, um, um, you know, Egon and Venkman at the beginning of Ghostbusters sequence where he finds out about the, you know, the existence of elf spirits and stuff, you know. Um, But somehow we need to introduce the fact that he's... So... A, we need to introduce necromancy, like that Sauron, and this is a Sauron thing, right? This is going to become a Sauron signature thing, um, and other people aren't doing it. We have no evidence that that Morgoth does the necromancy thing, right? This is a this is a, this is a Sauron signature thing from here on out, right? But we not only have to introduce that and explain what exactly, what does he do with it? Like, what is it? What does it get him? Like, what what is what is it? I got I. I I explain the kind of metaphysical context of it, right? But, you know, what? so you're doing necromancy. What exactly are you up to? Are you gaining information? Are you, are you, is he coercing the spirits to do something? If so, what? Is he embodying them? Is he, I, like, so, so first of all, like, what is necromancy? But secondly, and as we're answering that question, we need to make sure we're answering it in the context of, how does this further his plan, right? And I would actually say one step even further back, what's the cause and what's the effect? Does his disappointment lead him, is that the cause? And his discovery of the, like, okay, I need, I gotta, I gotta go out on my own, so I need something. So I'm gonna go do some, I'm gonna go figure out something, right? Uh, some new angle, some way I can establish my own independent power, Right. Um, and then it turns out that necromancy is the thing. Right. You know, and there you know, he's like, Eureka, necromancy. That's it. Right. Or is it the other way around? Right. Is it like he's kind of simmering in disappointment and he doesn't know what to do. And then he discovers necromancy and he's like, hey, I've now discovered necromancy. Now I can set up on my own. So the discovery of necromancy is the cause of his now setting up on. Do you see what I mean about the cause and effect? Right. So he needs to he needs a either way he needs a problem that is going to be solved by necromancy right 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 um which i'm not sure 100 percent that we have something like that we we do it's just it's it's not one that he's going to know he's going to need the use for and that right well that's that's the problem is that we need to make that happen the island l situation Mm -hmm. he needs a shade that he can coerce to hang out in that homestead and call to Gorlam. And it's not actual Ilanel. So it's some dead elf that he's bewitched and put there or whatever. You know, like it's it's a necromancy thing. Okay. Whatever is nec- going on there is necromancy. But does he need necromancy to have that same effect yeah. in place? Total confession here. I was totally assuming we were going to have Thurin Gwethel, Thurin Gwethel in fancy dress with a little special effects to 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 be the fake Ilanel. Um, 
um, I had like totally in my head kind of cast her in that role, right? As like it seems because I agree, you could if you did have, you know, dead elf spirits under your personal domination, you absolutely could recruit one to um, play the role of dead Ilanel, right? But if the whole point is just to fake the dead wife, that's fakeable in multiple different ways, right? Whether through, again, you know, uh, somebody like Thor and Gwethel plus special effects, or even just through direct psychic manipulation of Gorlim himself, right? He could just be given a vision of that, which is just a fake and lying vision, right? From Sauron. Um, So I agree that that's not exactly... Although, again, it could be a way in which if he had necromancy at his disposal, he could totally deploy it in that way. I agree that it doesn't necessarily qualify as a problem that requires necromancy to be solved. What about... Hang on. I just had a fun idea. Okay? And this is an idea that is so fun that it only has one problem, which is that it undermines the major storyline we've been building for several years. But apart from that, this is a great idea. And I know there's nothing I can say that will make you guys love this better than that. So, um, Sauron shows up at Minas Tirith with an army of the dead. And you... (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh, I'm I'm on board. (laughs) You're you're tracking with me here, right? Yeah. Uh, Come on, right? Like the King of the Dead comes to Minas Tirith, right? And conquers Minas Tirith with an army of the dead. I mean, that's a little bit sexy. Isn't that a little bit sexy? That actually shows up at Minas Tirith with the army of the dead, right? I mean... Wait, 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 wait. wait. Hang on. We don't have to abandon the other thing. Hang on. No, we we, we don't have to abandon the other thing. Wait, wait. Watch this. Watch this. Okay, okay. You know how you have to open the window, right? How Anil is programmed to open windows wherever he goes. Yeah, right, right, mm-hmm. right. To so that you know, so that the, the vampire has permission the, to come. The in, invitation, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Anil, we just have to we just have to engineer Anil to get to Minas Tirith. On the whatever excuse we have to come up with, can't be that yeah. hard. Yeah, and he opens. He's it, it, because there is some sort of a metaphysical boundary that's created. Right. We do the threshold the, thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he creates the opportunity the for the dead he to come. allows in. them through the threshold. Yeah. Yeah. And so, this, of course, like among the things that I've always disliked about the Peter Jackson, the dead sweeping away the Battle of Pelennor Field at the end, there are a number of things that I dislike about that. Um, but among those things has always been the fact that he depicts this purely incorporeal. Okay. Well, not in the Jackson movie, technically not purely incorporeal, but um, this incorporeal force, just like swarming upon and like apparently manhandling folks on the battlefield. Right. That is, he deploys Peter Jackson in the film, deploys a completely incorporeal and spiritual force in a disappointingly physical incorporeal way, it seems to me, right? Um, and he reduced the ghost to scrubbing bubbles. To scrubbing bubbles, yeah. Now, that's another of the things, like the, the 
visual that went along with that that made them look like scrubbing bubbles. Um, but of course, when the dead win the Battle of Pelargir, they win the Battle of Pelargir by terror, right? Just by, like, it is, in fact, the intangible, incorporeal impact of that army coming in that wins the battle at Pelargir. And so, Nick, I kind of like the idea that, again, Sauron does not, if Sauron comes in as the king of the dead, and by the way, like, that's got to happen, right? <laughs> king of the dead, come on. He's got to, can, can, can we have Sauron, you know, at I'm somebody. Sauron, Lord of the dead. I, I, at Sauron at some point, call himself the king of the dead, right? Or somebody call him the king of the dead, right? Um, I mean, like, Sauron comes into the room and someone, or, or like, you know, walks out onto the battlefield and someone's like the king of the dead approaches. Like, come on, that's just too, like, we have to do that. Anyway, oh, we'll, 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 we'll work on it. The time will come. But anyway, the, po- the point is, Nick, I do like the idea that when he, as king of the dead, comes to Minas Tirith with an army of the dead, it's not just a matter of like, and now my undead and semi-corporeal minions swarm the castle and destroy everybody and then I'll walk in. Like, that's not how it should work, right? If there is, um, they can't do anything or they can't do anything until something happens and then Anil would make that thing happen, right? Whether it's as simple as actually welcoming them in and inviting them in or whether it's something else or something more than that. Um, uh, I'm not sure, but... um, um. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I have a few questions, though. How easy is it for Sauron to do this? Because in order for him to have an army of the dead, mm-hmm. he needs to have done it a lot. And we want, uh, we need this to happen pretty early in the season. So he's got to make right. with the right necromancy on it. Up. He's got to. He's got to. He's got to get the necromantic uh, 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 assembly line running, right? So that if he's going to have an army of the dead. Um, okay. All right. So hang on. This is not a solution to that problem. But if he... I mean, we were looking for a problem that can be solved by necromancy. The taking of, of, of Minas Tirith can be... Mm the problem solved by necromancy, right? I mean, so especially if Sauron, we've shown him looking down his nose at orc armies to this point, Mm. right? He's not into the orc armies. He's got werewolves, right? So that's something, and that's useful, and he will deploy his werewolves there. But he needs more, right? Um, okay, and he doesn't want to rely on the others. This is part of his going independent, right? Wait, he just wait, doesn't wait. want an orc army. Yeah. How how on the nose? It would it be too on the nose for him to be collecting the corpses of elves from the battle in a ginormous cauldron. <laughs> doesn't even have to be a cauldron necessarily but something it's like just some other some form of, of crockery <laughs> right, right. some make, vessel or other even if it's like a, like a like a pit like just kind of right. symbolically because the the cauldron 
goes back way, way, way before Lloyd Alexander. Like that's a yeah, super old, sure. an old thing. Celtic idea. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. where the the, the holy. I, I'm pretty sure the Holy Grail actually comes from the old cauldron myth. Um, There's certainly some similarities. The, yeah, the Arthurian the Arthurian legend of the Grail. Um, and like to at least pay homage to that, I think would be kind of neat. Yeah, um, because what what you you are in? Uh, I mean, they, we're not describing cauldron born necessarily because cauldron born are physical, right? They're corporeal, yeah, inv- in- yeah. invincible warriors, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, uh, with, with necromancy, you don't need the body. Nope, body is totally optional. In fact, bodies requisite to be absent, really. Yeah. But Sarn is going to put his own spirit in a ring at some point. So if he is finding some way to physically tie spirits to the world through inanimate objects, whether or not they're cauldrons, um, that might be within the realm of Hmm. things we can use. Um, Okay, so so, hang on. Uh, So Yeah, this would make... The rings of power, a, a later generation of technological development, right? Where first all he was able to do was enslave other spirits and tie them to physical objects, but then he figures out a way to have uh, to like bind the spirits of living things, like the the, the Nazgul, right? Through the he gives them the rings, which ensnare them and ensnare their spirits and keep, you know, so that the you know from. The Nazgul to, you know, uh, Bilbo's butter and bread, right? We have his uh, uh, enslavement of the spirit, even for mortals, right? And now that's like a a couple generations, technology generations, right, down the road for Sauron. Um, It's interesting. I mean, to, to, to make his necromancy explicitly a kind of, um, exactly, JJ, a kind of alpha build, of uh, of the rings of power is a really fascinating idea um, because it's one of the things that um, it's one of the dots that never gets explicitly connected in Tolkien, right? Like the necromancer becomes like it wasn't just a disguise, right? It wasn't just a, a you know a pseudonym, right? It wasn't just his like a, you know his screen name or something like that, right? I mean, it was like he he was like so. What do those two things have to do with each other? Like, what is the connection between Sauron, you know, Mister Ring of Power, and you know, uh, ring raids and everything else, and his necromancy? So if we begin sort of establishing that link from the beginning, I really I, I really like that. Um, uh, now, hang on a second. I wanted to address um, Angel Eyes, I think. Yes. Uh, was asking um, about the orcs who kill Barra here and his band. Hang on. One problem at a time, man. We're trying <laughs> First, I, 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 I totally get that and everything. And I have some thoughts about that. But I'm going to totally... But, uh, so first, I want to focus on Minas Tirith, right? Well, no. First, we're trying to focus on necromancy. And Minas Tirith seems like... Especially since... The Thu Necromancer Minas Tirith—it's all tied together, right? Um, then, because then it seems to me that the question of how Sauron gets involved um, with—because that has to happen first, before like Baron is not kicked out of Dorthonian until after Sauron is established in Tolan Garhoth, 
right? So, so we need to work it. So because there because other factors could potentially intervene between the one and the other. So we don't have to necessarily solve all those at once. So so we start with so the, again my because my my basic question is just the opening gambit from Sauron. Right. Again, we saw where he was at the end of season five. Where does he go from that? What does he do? Answer, he takes Minas Tirith and he develops necromancy. So first we do that. Then we figure out having established necromancy and having conquered Minas you know, you know, Sauron, you've developed necromancy and, and uh, conquered Minas Tirith. What are you going to do next? And his answer is, for some reason, drive the remnant of the House of Bari here out of Dorthonian, and, and that's the next question. But it's still the next question. We're not there yet. Question for you. Okay. Is there any particular reason the spirit of, say, Agmar would maybe stick around Dorthonian because of, hmm. you know, reasons? Reasons, yeah. You're, so you're, you're suggesting to me that there might be a reason that Agnor might want to stick around in Middle-earth? Is that that's what you're yeah. suggesting? Yeah. There might be. And, that we might uh, have an elf who might have some motivations to stick around? Yeah. Yeah, and therefore would be susceptible to <sighs> being ensnared. You know, for some reason, though oddly in retrospect, it literally never occurred to me to have a named elf be subject to the necromancy, right? But we do have some candidates. We do have some candidates. Um, uh... I mean, Angrod is also a possibility, but that just seems cruel. <laughs> it's Angrod's been through enough. I mean, Ignor's been through a bit too, but um, uh, okay. To be fair, none of our dead elves are free of suffering <laughs> in, the, in the time leading up to their deaths. But um, um, there, there are some logistics questions that we should kind of work out real quick because like is this does this necromancy start immediately after the battle like how long does yeah. Sauron have to get in there and get these spirits before they move on or, or, or is it just that there are so many spirits of the Nolnor specifically who are super nervous about going back to Mandos, and in and if that's the case, now we have to like that kind of has to be made more or less explicit. Yes, in yes. in the world that we have created thus far. Yeah. Um. Okay. So the answer to the first question: timeline purposes. How much time do we have? How much time do we have between the Dagor Bragalak? Um, between the Dagor Bragalak and the um, like the arrival of Baron and Doriath, about five years. Five years. But, gives us some but time. More, more importantly, he probably has to be at least on his way there by the second episode. Baron of does. the season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah. we no. can't. It, that like, and that's the t- uh, that's the timeline that we have to kind of pay attention to it, the because the the amount of actual time time is kind of fluid, and it's going to okay. depend on what the viewer is willing to accept. Right, because um, you're right. We basically have to get. We cannot spend more than one episode. 
Minas Tirith have to, has to fall in the first episode. Yeah. Pretty much. Right? First or second, but yeah. First or second. I mean, because, I mean, if the second... We've got to. I mean, like we got stuff to do. We we we've got to get to Gorlim and 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 you know like we need to have like we need to have we need to have Baron holding the dismembered hand of his father by the end of the second episode, don't we? I mean, I, I think we have to. The latest at the latest at the latest, and then because I mean, that and, would still leave us until episode three to have him dodging spiders and showing up non creepily falling in love with Luthien, right? So I mean. I mean, we can't delay things much more than that because we have too many other things to do in this season. So, so yeah, we're looking at one episode, essentially. Like, when we're thinking about this opening issue with Sauron, the discovery of necromancy, uh, the, the, the plan to attack Minas Tirith, the betrayal of Minas Tirith and its fall, um, and Sauron establishing himself uh, and calling himself the King of the Dead and through the necromancer, that's got to happen. We're, we're talking one episode, essentially. Well, it's it's worse than that because Sauron is not the ultimate enemy of the season, right? Right, like so we can't have the whole first episode be just about Sauron. Sauron, right? He, we've got to, you know, we've got to be setting everything else in motion. Well, does the Gorlum stuff have to wait until after the fall of Minas Tirith? I, I, I don't think not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. Right. So I feel like the conquest of Darthonian and <coughs> the fall of Venus Tirith are, I mean, they're both things Sarn's doing, but. Yeah, maybe so. Can, maybe this, I, that's the sequence I was thinking of when I was just, I wasn't thinking then of episode sequence. I was thinking of just chronology. Right. That he right. first, yeah. he would establish himself and then that would happen. But, but yeah, maybe we don't do that because. Uh, by the way, and here I am, like wandering off into uh, like a- episode outline. But um, I'm thinking the fall of Sauron and the destruction of Tol and Garhoth is basically the midpoint, turning point of the season, right? Yeah, I was thinking like an episode eight ish, which uh, then does. I mean, eight, it nine. makes. Yeah. I see what you mean about like if the if the whole first episode is just Sauron, it makes it seem like overcoming Sauron, and then like the the one that we spend the whole time at the very beginning of the season, um, you know, setting up is gone by halfway through the season, and so um, the the end of the season is not going to connect to the beginning quite so clearly. On the one hand, I see that, but on the other hand. Um, I'm not quite sure how to avoid it um, because I don't want to take time away from Sauron. Like, this is Sauron is our main character. He's the main character of the entire show, right? So, like, and this is so important. We can't short sell Sauron in this season. And typically, you would save the main event for the end of the season, but we killed Fanar in the middle of the season, and he right. was a kind of important character for, for <laughs> right, a while. right. Right, and I'm not yeah, but we were, we were, we were really signaling something there, you know, and um, and Fingolfin was in episode one, like he he figured in episode one of season two as well. I so, know. I know. It, you know, like it, like his plot arc 
continues and you can see the plot arc of the sons of Feanor continue as well. So I have the solution. I have the solution. Ilana gave the solution. Hmm. The answer is who, what is, who is the primary villain of this season? It's not even Morgoth. Morgoth has a role, but it's a bit role in this story. It's not Karkaroth either, right? I mean, he may be literally the big bad uh, in this season, right? He is the physically the, you know, the, and he's the one with the climactic battle at the end. But that's not the story here. It's not that kind of a season, right? The climax of this season, what we're building up to, right? The, the money bit at the end of season six is the song before Mandos, right? And the return, the release from bondage and the return from death. So, just as Alana is suggesting, what we need to set up in episode one is the Mandos issue and the going before the halls of Mandos and going before Mandos. And if we do have spirits of dead Noldor who are not quite sure about returning to Valinor and I mean, look, when they last saw Mandos, it was a bad day, right? I mean, it was (laughs) that was that was. He was scary the last time they saw him. So now they're getting a cordial invitation to go dwell for an indeterminate amount of time, in, you know, in his place. And this is going to be an un- a dubious time. It's going to be an uncertainty, right? Steve, um, Mandos, we're not saying that Mandos is a villain. Um, but no, 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 this no, is, no, no, no. This is no. similar to what we wound up doing with the story arc of uh, season four, where season four the true antagonistic force of season four was the strife between the, between the various groups of the Eldar. Right. And that right. strife has a certain level of resolution in episode 13. Right. right. The, the wedding of Galadriel have, is the really important thing. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and the, the reconciliation of even the sons of Feanor and the sons of Fingolfin in the uh, in the combat with um, with Glaurung, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's it's more akin to that where the i the idea of death itself is yes. the antagonistic exactly force. exactly the the, uh, the oppression that is felt by us um, because the, of death. The theme of the season is escape from bondage. Right. Deliverance from bondage. And that's got to be the question that we open at the beginning. The Noldor, what are they going to? Are they, is this, they've, so, you know, hello, you know, bunch of Noldor who were just slain in the Dagor Bragalak. Um, what's, what, what happens now? Your Fea has been separate. Your, your, your Hroa is out of commission. And there is your Fea there in middle, you know, in Beleriand, right? Looking about itself and wondering what to do. You receive a strong and peremptory invitation to go to Mandos, to go to the halls of that guy who cursed you, which you remember very well, right? What does this mean? Is this the beginning? Is this day one of your prison sentence, right? Are you, are you, are you, if you go, into the West, are you going into incarceration and probable punishment? Right? Is this is is is, are, are, is this the chickens coming home to roost to you now? I mean, is, these have to be the questions that the Noldor are asking 
at that moment. They don't know. They don't know what's going to be happening. Um, so some of them stay, right? Some of them choose to stay, which is a bad call. Tolkien is very clear on the fact that it is a bad call to refuse the summons of Mandos. <clears throat> um, but by introducing this in the opening episode, we open the we do successfully open the very questions that we want to be closing at the end. Well, closing is an ambitious word, perhaps, but we're going to be this is this is this is the theme we're going to be dealing with. And this is what we're going to be focused on resolving at the end of the story with Luthien and Mandos there. Right. Um, and that, of course, that is and by that, I mean the uncertainty. Right. The um, lingering, at least uh, the hesitancy, even perhaps of the Noldor at the beginning is the perfect set up for Sauron. This is where he sees his opportunity, right? Because Sauron perceives this. Sauron perceives this happening and says, this is my opportunity. Now, I wanted to bring up um, what um, uh, Nathan on YouTube was saying a little while back. Yeah, because um, I, I thought this was really this was really smart. Nathan says, um, Morga- Sauron's problem is that Morgoth seems to be spiritually lessening and dispersing in essence. Right. Um, He sees this and he's like this from the outside. He's watching this and he's like, this is this is bad news. Right. Um, You know, the boss man is heading down this street from which he's not going to be able to return. Right. Um, I'm seeing the toll that it's taking on him. This is not right. So he logically is going to be asking himself, how can I avoid this fate? How can I can I improve on this model? Right. His model. Right. Morgoth's model. Morgoth's model is I have so much power. Right. I it's all about me. Right. And so therefore there is enough of me to go around. I'm going to disperse myself in order to dominate Arda, all of Arda, if I possibly can. Right. And he presumably thinks he's succeeding, thinks it's working out. Right. Thinks it's but Sauron looking on is like, no way, man. Right. That is. This is not succeeding like you think it is. I can see the problem here. So Nathan's suggestion is, perceiving this, Sauron then says, um, let me start experimenting, not by dispersing my spirit to others, but enslaving other spirits to me. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not decrease myself. I'm going to increase myself right? by drawing power from all of these others. Right. And bringing them into my own domination. So so he has the two. So he has both um, both a both a concern. Right. He, he has he has the concern, which is I see how um, the boss is going downhill and I don't want this to happen to me. And P.S. I want to start introducing some um, discrete distance between me and him so that I don't get caught in the blast radius when he goes down. Right. Because it's not looking good. Right. In one way or another, he's going downhill. Um, and but he also sees an opportunity. Right. When he's like, hey, look at this. There are all these elf spirits hanging about here now. Right. This is a raw. This is this is a this is a natural resource that should be tapped. Right. This is my key. So, so he, it's, and then, of course, we have his desire to separate. Right. And so those three things come together. Operation Necromancy. Right. So we could open up, and, and we can 
work out more details later, but we can open up even with a, with a scene of Mandos confronting some of the dead, right, mm-hmm. as they come in, but also then move from there to Sauron observing some of these spirits, because presumably he, he walks in the spirit world as well as in the as in the manifest, right? And he, he right. must be aware of them. Yes. And maybe uh, he can, like, he can kind of force one to tell him this information that we're creating here. Necromancy! That, that why, why... Information from the dead, yeah. Like, like why are you here? <clears throat> you know? Right. Um, because he knows about Mandos. Yes. He knows all about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, he, he knows that Morgoth was stuck there for the longest time. Right? Yeah. Um, he was there when it was built. Right? Um, although not actually in our story. In our story, they, they come across Mandos fully fully set up and ready to go. That's right. Um, but he's aware of what's going on there. So he forces this elf wraith to give up the information of, of what they're doing there and ah light bulb he's able to, to use that information to yeah to his uh his yeah. benefit yeah um at some yeah, point we will, we will have to decide how much of Mandos we want to show and when mm-hmm. the halls of Mandos I mean and obviously we're going to put Luthi in there so we're going to see it we're going to see it yeah at yeah. the end yeah. Right. Um, so in the beginning here, somehow hinting at it without showing it's probably better. But yes, explaining the invitation and the refusal of the invitation would be the key step. Yeah. So what happens if somebody if somebody refuses the invitation? Do they just get immediately ported back to where they fell? I mean, like... No, I think it's the other way around. Like they are where they fell, and they get ported if they accept the invitation. Right. So does Mandos appear in, to our viewers? How does the invitation on the work? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, does he appear like yeah. the Grim Reaper at the point of death? I think that could be a cool opening scene. Yeah. It, it could. Battlefield. It would be super cool. I just and don't you know have like a we want to say that that happens. Version of the battlefield. Does Mandos then... do this in person? Does he have emissaries? Is it just a voice? Is it? Is it just music? We haven't shown any. That's the problem. Yeah. If we had even if we had had the foresight to come up with this before. What did we do with the with the curse of the Noldor? Do we he have him showed, on a hilltop? He was, yeah, he physically yeah. showed up. Yeah. Okay. We saw him. We did see him then. Possibly just like the upper half of his body because he's so enormous, right? Right. Like over right. over the top of the hill. No, I mean, yeah, we've met Nama before. The, yes. The question is, it's been a while. We would have to show him personally if we yes. had an emissary. Even if the emissary says, "I am here on behalf of Mendes." It's, I'm here on behalf of that guy you've not even heard of in the last two seasons. Yeah, it's since right. the middle so, of season three. It's less yeah. powerful. So if yeah. we're doing a spirit world thing, having Mandos appear as if he's there, like, it's a spirit. Why yeah. wouldn't you have spirit stuff going on where you don't have to physically be there to appear? Right, right, but right. Yeah. It's a vision. Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> Why do right. we solve everything in film film with a vision? <laughs> Come on, it's awful. It it's it's a not the same us. kind of it's not the same kind of vision, right? Exactly. It's it's uh, uh otherwise yeah. I'd be sitting here going <laughs> right. Wait, Nick. I have an idea. If we have to give, have somebody have a dream, it solves all the problems, right? Um, never mind. Okay, so uh, yeah, no, I love this. Um, we okay. So I'm not thinking in terms of like. So this is not me like trying to outline an episode one or anything. I'm just thinking through kind of the sequence here, right? We begin with spirits of the Noldor being summoned to Mandos, some going and some staying, right, in trepidation and uncertainty, possibly even named folks, a named person or two, because we've got multiple dead named folks that we can work with now. And, um, okay, sorry, let me digress for a moment to say if we're going to do this, if we're going to show, like, here's the spiritual side of what was going on at that corpse-strewn battlefield, we have an opportunity to dispose of the spirits of men and show how that works. Like, if we want to establish the metaphysics of what happens to the spirits of men after they die, what they do or don't do and under what circumstances, we could, I mean, we have plenty of dead humans as well, uh, is what I'm saying. Uh, that we can work with here if we want to establish some kind of either norm from which Gorlim is deviating or, you know, I don't know, um, some kind of setup of dead Gorlim. Did did Tolkien, I know he weighed in on how this works for elves, but did he weigh in on how much of a choice we have? Humans? In the moment of death, yeah. I to leave the world none i think i mean like because yeah the, right yeah exactly so i mean i mean in essence actually it's kind of similar and well no it's you go to mando's first and then you leave yeah no world. i know that right yeah right but like the the point is elf spirits they're sticking around in arda one way or the other Right. right, like they don't leave. The only question is what they're gonna, how they're gonna pass their time. Right, the rest of the life of Arda while they're here, either in Mandos or not in Mandos, and if not, that's not gonna go well. Right, um, humans also, like so, all elves stay in Arda. All humans leave Arda. Right, human spirits leave Arda. Almost oh, footnote, oathbreakers, but later. Um, uh, in general, right, that's what the that's what happens with them. And now, like like the elves who are all staying in Arda, some of them do this and some of them do that. There can be multiple destinations, right, for the spirits of men um, after they depart from Arda. Um, but that you know that doesn't change the question that that's the des- you know somewhere out of Arda is the destination for all human spirits. They're all going. The elves know not whither whether so many places that happens to be, right? So if we're talking about heaven and hell or whatever we're talking about, it is somewhere else that is not Arda, and all of them are headed there, and for the purpose of our story, that's what matters, right? That it's beyond the circles of Arda. Um, After the waiting time in Mandos, which, by the way, always makes me uncomfortable. Like, it it makes me uncomfortable because it's... Tolkien was super conservative. Like, 
uh, we were just talking about this last night in the Nature Middle Earth discussion about um, you know what I, I, I joke about the drawer that Tolkien has like he never whenever he cuts anything like a name a character a sentence from his work I always joke that he has a drawer that he like he, whenever he cuts it he puts it in the drawer right because he might take it out again later on like he never throws anything away um, and uh, this is true of ideas too like ideas which he seems to have totally removed like linger in the background and sometimes it seems like they've never actually died um that's what it feels like to me like his when he sat down and did his mythology in the book of lost tales like when the very first conception of this it was perfectly clear that he was it was a mythology of heaven hell and purgatory right the the you know where where where, where angband was hell right the Iron Hell is what it is. So you had, you know, Valinor, which was heaven, you know, paradise, and you had Angban, which was hell, and then you had the Halls of Mandos, which were purgatory, right? Um, and that, uh, that was, it was, it mapped directly onto heaven, hell, and purgatory originally. Um, he left that pretty quickly. Like, I mean, in drafts of the Book of Lost Tales itself, it's not even something he abandoned after that. During writing, like, it was only in the very, very initial stuff in the Book of Lost Tales that you can see that, and then he pulls back from it almost right away. And yet, it's still there, right? You know, the Halls of Mandos as Purgatory is still there with the Halls of Waiting set aside for men, right? Um, which might as well be Niggle's Workhouse, right? I mean, it's it's... There it is, right? And it it's, it makes me uncomfortable because, and what, so when I, what may, what when I, what I mean by my discomfort here is that it's like a halfway thing. Like, it are, is human destiny beyond the circles of the world or not? Right? And to say that what purgatory is within the circles of the world, and then you leave the circles of the world to go to heaven or hell. I mean. It just seems to me like um, a halfway measure, a, a kind of confusing halfway measure, right? Um, but having said that, having ranted and complained about that, it's it's a halfway measure that we can use um, because um, it's a halfway measure that we can use because we need to explain ghosts anyway. Right. And why there are humans who. So if uh, that is to say, Oathbreakers are easier to explain if their spirits would probably have still been in Arda anyway. They're just, you know, in the paths of the dead instead of Mandos. Right. Not yet having gone to wherever it is they're going to eventually go. Right. Um, but. Um, uh, and the other reason we need the halls of waiting in Mandos for human souls is that we need Baron to go there and wait for Luthien. Right. But so see, if even he was going to just leave the circles of the world and be gone, she wouldn't be able to catch up with him. See, okay, but I, that's actually one of the things I dislike about it, too. She tells him to wait for her, right? She tells him to wait for her. And, like, my... My preferred, like, my kind of headcanon of that story is that her words to him, like, have an effect. Like, an an Isildur-esque effect, right? Um, That if all humans are hanging out in Mandos, 
after their death. And then he's like, oh yeah, do we have a dude named Baron? Then him being there waiting is not special, right? But if humans normally just go, and instead Mandos and others are like, hey, who invited the human? Why is he here, right? And then someone's like, oh, right, Luthien. Like, if it's Luthien's fault, basically, that he's there. If, you know, if it's the link between them. If her, you know, again, like Isildur cursed the Oathbreakers and it worked, right? And it had an impact on their, you know, uh, afterlife in some sense, right? So I think, in, 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 I like the idea that Luthien's, like, when she, she tells Baron to wait for her and he, like, promises that he will. Right. That their mutual promise to each other that they that you know, her asking him to wait and his agreeing that he would affects it so that everyone's like, why is this guy still here? Instead of just being like, somebody go find Baron out of the crowd because, uh, you know, he's being called to the principal's office. So it sounds like what bothers you is a hall of waiting for men in the halls of Mandos. Yes. But if there were just a doorway through which one could leave Arda in the halls of Mandos that men passed through and there was no like waiting at a bus stop aspect to this that would probably fix a lot of that for you it sure. sounds like yeah that so, would that would and so if Baron stands there and doesn't go through the doorway yes because he's waiting because he's waiting yeah then yeah. that makes him unusual the unusualness yet, feels it feels like it should be unusual. Like he should be in an it unusual state. Change the fate of where men go or anything. It just all we've right. eliminated is the waiting period, which I realize is a large chunk of the purgatorial aspect. <laughs> the waiting period, yeah, exactly. Um, unless unless humans go to like a a a more spiritual version of purgatory than the elves do. You know, the like, yeah, well, I mean, on the other side of the right on the other side of the door, right? They might yeah. still have to go to yeah. purgatory. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm. I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm arguing against purgatory. I mean, I could argue against purgatory, but that's a completely different discussion. Uh, I'm, and I, and I wouldn't argue against it with Tolkien anyway. Um, uh, so yeah, no, no. It's, uh, yeah, it's just to say that purgatory, that even purgatory, should be within Arda feels to me just metaphysically inconsistent with the rest of the world that Tolkien has created. And it feels like something that's been, that, that's just lingered from the days. I mean, he, he got rid of, he, he, he took heaven and hell out of Arda. Right. But he never he like committed. Them. He, 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 yeah, he never committed to taking purgatory out of Arda. And that's, that's, that's the thing that, that, that does kind of bother me. So yes, a portal. I like a portal. Right, a portal is a nice way of kind yeah. of visualizing that. Right, I mean, because they have one on the other side, because they kick Morgoth out through it. Right, we have more than one portal. We already have a, a different. Right, so we we've got the eastbound and the westbound portals. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so and you guys go to like northbound so and southbound trains. Right, yeah. Aya resides in between the timeless halls and the void. So we've got Aya as the, or, yeah. So right, we've got like Arda as the, at, at the crossroads, right? Of, well, uh, not 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 Arda, but Arda. Aya itself, Aya like itself, the, right. the, yeah. the yeah. the manifest universe, in a way, kind of spans the gap between the void itself and the timeless halls, and so the entry, the the exit from Mandos uh, from 
Mandos takes you to the timeless halls. The yep. elevator exit sends you to the bad place. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, where presumably Morgoth is gnashing his teeth uh, and potentially weeping yes. and or wailing. Yes, yes agreed. Um, yeah, um, no, I, I mean, I agree. We have a portal. Um, that's a thing. I mean, that's, that's a genuine element of Tolkien's mythology, that kind of portal. And the other thing is that we have to... Yeah, the doors of night. And the other thing we have to remember is this would also be, a, a, I think, perhaps a good way... This, all this metaphysics... I, I mean, let's face it, there are very few ways to convey that. I mean, it's not like we can convey any of this in exposition, right? I mean, that's not possible to do unhorribly, right? So... It would just be stuff that we just see kind of existing. Like when we see Baron waiting, there's the door yeah. of, of, shall we say, morning. The door right? of morning? Or, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Like fun pun there. Uh, but okay, so, uh, yeah. Showing a physical portal, we do need to somehow convey. I mean, it is crucial. We can't get through season six without somehow conveying to our viewers, including those who don't know the first thing about the metaphysics of Middle-earth, right? That the spirits of the elves go to one place and the spirits of humans go somewhere else, right? So having the mysterious to elves portal, right? Uh, even mysterious to the Valar, they don't even necessarily know what's on the other side of that portal, yeah. right? Um, uh because they don't know Iluvatar's plan for humans and for the gift of Iluvatar, right? This is this is presumably something that is in the music after the vision stopped. Well, after yeah, the vision. Luthien is the first person to catch Manos by surprise since the beginning of the world. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So I mean, as a pure visual image, so like you know, the, the exposition-free way to convey. Look, over there is where the elves are. We can even see elves in the background, right? Dead elves in the background. Like, this is the Halls of Mandos where the elves abide. That's the door. That's the exit through which humans go. All humans go through the exit um, into we know not whither, right? That is, it seems, feels to me like a very effective way, um, uh, a very effective way to um, uh, convey that the spirits of men go the elves know not whither and depart from Arda, whereas the elves remain in Arda. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> uh, Steve's asking about um, Turin. Uh, I am not going there. I am not going there. Because first of all, look, we're not even going to do the Dagor Dagoroth. Like, I'm sorry, that is not going to happen. Like, we're, we're, well, I'm back is the end of the film film project, not the Dagor Dagoroth. So, we can totally, we never have to answer the question of does Turin Turambar come back to kill Morgoth at the end? And, I mean, like, let's face it, the textual evidence for that in Tolkien is incredibly slim. I mean, that's like one version of one, which he wrote in the early 30s. Um, so, I, I, we're not, I, don't, I don't feel wedded to that at all. We can probably find a way to work it into a vision or a dream at some point in the Second Age in Numenor. Oh, in Numenor, you know, it's gonna, we're going to come back to this for to sure. all problems is, so there was this dream, you see. <laughs> this is dream, absolutely. Yeah, and we'll have, think of the number of dreams we'll have the opportunity to do in, in during the Second Age. So, absolutely, yeah. No, but I agree, like, but, I mean, you're certainly right, Marie, that 
if we're talking about like uh, the advanced course on human mortality, Numenor is going to be our opportunity for the advanced course on human mortality, right? So we can come back. We'll have plenty of time to come back. We don't have to. We don't have to solve all questions relating to human mortality. Um, what we do need to establish, though is the one-way door that humans go through leaving Arda and that elves don't. Because, again, we cannot assume that our audience knows this fact about elves and men. And it's absolutely central to the season. Like, the whole reason that Namo actually feels bad for Luthien is because of the eternal separation aspect. Eternal separation, yes. Of what she and Baron are looking at. Whereas, if two humans die, they can both go through that doorway together. And who yeah, knows what might. happens, but, you know, Good yeah. Luck, yeah. Good luck. yeah. 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 They take the risk of whatever's going to happen. They, it's, I was kind of joking about the bad place, which is a reference to the show The Good Place, which <laughs> ends kind of weirdly, in my opinion, but the um, the idea is that they have this doorway that leads into some place they know not where, and they... Yes eventually choose to pass through that door. Yeah. Ilana was suggesting we show Feanor sulking in a corner. Yeah, for some, for some reason I was imagining Feanor like uh, rattling the bars of his cage with a metal cup, you know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I, 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 we, could, we could even bring in named folks, again, just to establish that the elves are there. Um, anyway, okay, so this is... Um, not getting us immediately and infinitely closer to the taking of Tuls, of, uh, of Tulsirian in, in episode one, but it's fine. It's fine. This is good, especially because it is also a mechanism for uh, the, the, the introduction of necromancy. And not only that, but an explanation of how the necromantic opportunity arrives. So, Nick, I like the idea of uh, an interview, right, between Sauron and a dead elf. Right, which, as you say, he would be able to perceive perfectly well, right? Um, and yes, okay. So he, what he gets from them. So it is through this discussion that we learn about the uncertainty of the Noldor, the dead Noldor, right? Their trepidation, and he has his idea, right? Um. He has he has uh, his idea about um, how he can use this is a power source for him, right? This is what he sees. He sees the opportunity to use them as a power source to harness them to increase his own power, um, either directly or indirectly, um, and it is through the necromantic increase of his power through his dominion of the elvish spirits that he goes now someone people were asking before i think um like how does he get from here to the ring of power thing right well um we'll get there but of course we're setting up a deliberate irony sauron is going to end up in fact going down the same road that morgoth went down right the point is we don't want him doing that right away because he has 25 years to get there, right? So it is true, by the time we get to the Second Age, his forging of the Ring of Power, that's that's um, the death knell for Sauron, 
right? That is the moment when he sets himself to go down, when he falls into the same trap that Morgoth fell into, right? Um, he come, He feels like he's got no choice. He feels like it's a gamble that's worth taking because, you know, it's, not, it's totally not like Morgoth because he's still, I mean, I mean, the only way it could go wrong is if he somehow lost his ring of power, which is like obviously totally not going to happen. So it's much this, you know, there, there are reasons that we can establish when he does the ring of power, why he's convinced himself that this is not just exactly the same thing that Morgoth did, except it totally is. In the end, that's absolutely what we see from Sauron. Um, and Sauron in the third age, Sauron in the latter part of the third age is absolutely in the place where Morgoth is going to get to by the end of the first stage. Um, uh, and that's, again, that's going to be the sort of, in a sense, the real tragedy of Sauron's end, right? His overthrow at the end is like the denouement, right? The, um, when he becomes, you know, um, the junior league version of what he was trying to avoid in the first place, that's, uh, that's the tragedy. That's the final you know, the final collapse of his character, the final end uh, of his arc. Um, but, um, yeah, so Angel, he's not recruiting the dead elves. He's dominating them. Um, he's dominating them. He is, um, he, is, he is compelling them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what this would be. That's what necromancy would be. He's not going to play around with them, right? He's not going to, he's not going to um, bribe them. You know, he's, he's going to, he's going to, Yes. He's going to enslave wonder, them. Exactly. I wonder if their existence as, as homeless wraiths makes them more susceptible to the spell of not quite bottomless dread. Makes it, it absolutely like makes them vulnerable. Tolkien was explicit that their remaining in Beleriand and their declining the invitation to, makes them vulnerable to the shadow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they, even the Noldor who were themselves stubborn, right? Um, like corporeally, uh, like Dirio, right? Um, those who were resistant, who did not succumb, um, whose wills remained strong in opposition despite slavery and imprisonment in Angband, after they're dead, they don't have much of the wherewithal to resist this. Um, yeah. So... He, we learn about this, the fates of the dead, their concern. We see Sauron's, the conversation can end with Sauron enslaving that elf, right? Um, and increasing his own power. And so, so Nick, as far as the assembly line is concerned, right, the mass production, I would think we could cut for like... If we had a conversation between him and Dead Elf, who I ignore, possibly, who else? What other candidates do we have? The two named Dead Elves in Dorthonian are... Angrod and... Angrod, yeah, yeah. There's some humans there, of course. Right. But we don't want to touch Um, that yet. Um, They're not going to linger in the same way if they linger. Um... Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, 
I don't know if it has to. I, I, I find would, myself I reluctant to to be a, to either one of them. It doesn't it feel doesn't, right. It doesn't really need to be a named person. It like because we kind of wanted to believe that those guys made it back. Um, right. You know, they're the sons right. of Finarfin. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I can believe there's people among the elves of Dorthonian who might not want to go back. Nathan suggests Aeol. Now we don't get the Noldor angle there, obviously. Yeah, but and Aeol's not it, like he doesn't die on the fields of Dorthonian. No, either. he doesn't. He doesn't. But we did dispose of him <clears throat> late in the season. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, no, we can't use Ale because the very first thing he would do is tell Sock on the location of Gondolin. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, is he an elf who would refuse who has uh, maybe some unfinished business to take care of and some gripes? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to imagine Ale would not be among those who refused. I mean, if anyone is, if any elf spirit is going to be sulking in Middle Earth still, it's going to be Ale, right? Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, no, that's Especially true. Especially the Ale that we've created, because he was, yeah. we showed him in Quivien and resistant the idea of being a, a thrall of the Valar. So yeah. he's yeah. 100% refused to go to Mandos. Uh, agreed. 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 But but yeah, I agree. He's too complicated to bring in for other reasons. We can bring him in when Maglin is tossed off the wall and he can stand there at the foot of the wall uh, and, and say, die the same so. death as your father. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he uh-huh. can say, told you so. So the ghost of Ail said he told you so. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally make that scene better. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's probably better to have a nameless elf there because then we can show that same person at the gates of Minas Tirith. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, yep. And we can sh- see the difference like in in their aspect. Right? In their affect. Yes. Yes. More, uh... Yeah. But, but I, what I was starting to say before, though, was I think that we could cut. So, like, we have the conversation. Sauron whammies the elf ghost at the end, right? And then we cut from there to Sauron has army of dead elves. Like, time has passed. Sauron shows up with army of dead elves. Like, that presumably he's replicated this process. We don't have to show him replicating the process, right? Um, I think that so long as sufficient time has passed that it doesn't look like he's done it in the last 15 minutes, I think that we can... we can. Ast- again, it doesn't have to be literally we cut to that in the next scene, but I, I, I don't think we need necessarily much, much more than that. Um, as long as there is some passage of time. Um, but... We're going to need to go back to... Well, we're going to need to end soon. Uh, miles away from Porthor and Gwethel as yet, but... Um, wait, wait. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. 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 All right. This might be terrible. All right, hang on. So... I can't wait. In Minas Tirith. In... Right. Taken over Minas Tirith, right? Yeah. In the very basement... Right, 
right. is a vat where Sauron keeps We're his back to ghostly the evil armies. Right. Right. Ghostly and armies when, in the vat. When Luthien sings down the tower and breaks the spells which held it together, they're she, released. She releases them and from bondage. They yeah. kill Thurin Wethel. Uh, oh, whoa. Okay, I didn't see Thurin Wethel coming into that, that bit there. The release from bondage of the elf spirits is lovely. That's 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 lovely. I like that a lot. And it gets your tub of evil in there too. Yeah. 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 Not just I a li- hat rack, my friend. <laughs> I like it. I now I'm not sure about the throwing Grethel angle. I but but we'll come back to that. We've got it because we can't figure out yeah, how yeah. Thurman Grethel dies until we figure out what her story <clears throat> is, yeah, yeah. Uh, or where her story is going in this season. Um, but um, but the idea of Sauron having a vulnerable object, which is a, the, the downfall of the object being associated with the tower with his fall, apart. yeah, and, and uh-huh. a tower coming down, like a tower, tower crashing, down. yeah, yeah like, uh huh, yeah. There's it's obviously not the same thing, but it would set right. up a lot of things. Right, it it rhymes, it rhymes. Uh, it's backwards. It is backwards. It is backwards. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, yes, especially if it's. I feel like. I do feel like an actual literal cauldron is a step too far because I just, I mean, I'm trying to imagine like, and Sauron being like, and now I shall construct a very large pot, which shall enslave. Then shall be the <laughs> pot of slavery that the, yeah. I shall, to which I shall bind the elves. Like right, that right. seems a little bit odd. Like that. He is like, yeah. you know, his, that Mark is one, he that he's brewing them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But if, it's, or, but if yeah. it's a vessel in which, or like packed. a pit or like a pit like right. that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, exactly. That it's, 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 that seems to me like I'm imagining a pit with like, evil runes around it, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's the prison pit, right, for the elf uh, spirits. And and we're going to see this prison again because obviously Finrod and Baron are going to be imprisoned there. Yeah. So they're not going to be Could you imagine pit. how mortified Finrod would be? Because those so are his people. Right. If right. It's, if it's people from Dorthonian. Right. True. True. There would be... He... he Wow. Um, it is a great way to explain why this army never shows up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We wouldn't want it showing up again. We wouldn't want it showing up again. And his, um, and by the way, I would also think, he, we know, you know, because Mirkwood, he's going to have more goes at the necromancy thing. This is not his only shot at necromancy, right? Um, but this is his best, I mean, he, he's, this is, this is the this is the high water mark of Sauron's necromancy, I would say, right? Because of course he's going to move on from that. He's going to he's going to he's going to use that as again. This is the alpha the alpha build, right? Uh, as JJ was saying, um, he's going to he's going to develop the ideas past that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
so yeah, uh, uh, Steve, thanks. Where do the elf spirits go? To Mandos. Like, they, having learned their lesson very soundly yeah. uh, upon being set free, they return to Mandos. Um, we can even see some of them. I mean, we can, like, our, our, our new character, right? Yes. Dead Feanorian. Um, uh, yes. we, we, can, we can see him again. Uh, you know, Luthien can see him when we, when we get back to, to Mandos. Um, oh, so he's a Feanorian now, is he? Oh, sorry. I think he so. He was Drathonian so, two seconds ago. <laughs> was he? Somebody said Feanorian. But I... I, I yeah, the, I, I understand the push to have people... But, like, we don't need, like... 40% of these people to refuse to go to Mandos. We, we need like a couple of hundred people and yeah. they just need to be at the forefront of the takeover of Minas Tirith, right? Yeah. Like they just need to create the terror and havoc, you know, that Sauron was creating on the battlefield back in the, uh, the Dagor Bragalak. You know, we need, they just need to be creating more of that. And I love the idea that, and I'm going back to your other Minas Tirith suggestion, Nick. Um, if the enemy that Anil lets into Minas Tirith is incorporated, like it's not that he opens the postern gate and lets orcs into Minas Tirith, right? Because yeah. that's too simple, right? If instead um, Minas Tirith is overthrown because the spirits of fear and terror rise up from within you know, the tower itself. Uh, yeah. And they, and the, and the, the, the elves, you know, Orodreth's folks, uh, his people, I mean, not his parents, necessarily, but presumably. Anyway, uh, Orodreth's, um, uh, his folks have been through enough already. Um, uh, never mind. I won't even think about Orodreth's parents in regard to the ghosts that take over Minas Tirith. So anyway, the point is, because we decided that wasn't happening, um, the point is that uh, as the, you know, what we get is basically the, 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 the defenders. Sauron's army is not enough to just conquer. You know, he's not just going to sack you know, Minas Tirith. Um, nor is he just going to have it betrayed in a garden variety way. Right, he is going to have these spirits of fear rising up from within the tower itself, um, and all of the the defenders are terrified and drop their don't know what to do, and they are confused and terrified, and many drop their weapons and run, and yeah. uh, and then Sauron's otherwise inadequate army can uh, can can come in, and and it's important, like when it says that Luthien like Luthien's song breaks the spells that are holding the tower up. Sauron didn't place build those it. spells on that yeah, tower. Yeah, he didn't build it. Finrod yeah. did. Right. Right? So right. presumably if it takes too long to to get through the defenses of Minas Tirith, the elves could just let the tower fall down on its own and he that like then it's useless to him. Right? I, as as and I forgot to bring this up again, but it, as the words we put in his mouth back in season two were, "Why destroy what you can cultivate?" Right, right, right. right. Um, I I have to give pro- major props to Deadway. Oh, Deadway, yeah, Deadway yeah. being the name of the elf, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, good. yeah. That's, that's totally what we call him. Yeah, that's tasty. Deadway, agreed, agreed. Yep, yep. 
Yeah, so uh, uh, Deadway being a, a recurring minor character, um, we can have... And because I, we do need a face, right? We, do, we don't need right. a name, but we do need right. a face, right? We need a face yeah. for the... Uh, the, 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 the trepid, you know, the, the whole issue of the question of whether, you know, the, the, the not choosing to go back to Mandos, right? We similarly need a face on that because uh, Steve's question was an excellent one, right? They already chose not to go to Mandos. What happens when they're set free? Well, we need to see them choosing, right? We need to give them that moment. We could even have, if we wanted it, we could even have communication between Finrod and them. In prison. Maybe, right, right. Or at least some attempt at communication. But what I was thinking of, you know the scene at the end of The Scouring of the Shire when uh, when Saruman dies. Yes. Yeah. And his, his spirit and his rises up. Yeah. Spirit uh-huh. rises up yeah. and it looks yeah. off to the west and then it gets blown away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that doesn't happen here. Right. Right. Because they look, they look to the west. They rise up and they look to the west. And they're received. And they're received. Yeah, they're they're yeah. brought in. They're welcomed in. And we see them go heading off into the into the light in the west. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. With the. Hey. Phil could do a little elvish reprise of the song. Still going off into the light in the west, right? Yeah, yeah. Get a little, 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 little uh, musical reference there. Anyway, okay, right. So yeah, so they go off into the light, and then again, we we can even meet him or see him a third time. Yeah. But again, he can be there when Luthien shows up. When we show yeah. Mandos, right? We can see that he's there in order to like affirm the happy ending of you know the imprisoned necromantic and enslaved he spirits. Some act of gratitude, even like you know, right. Sure, sure. Uh, because, yeah, uh, he would know that it was Luthien who set him free, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, um, I think Theron has seen the plans of the tower at, uh, at Pelsirian. So if there's anything specific about the spells that are binding the tower together or that sort of thing, or if she needs Anil to, like, create the slave pit in the basement or whatever right like she intimately knows all the details of what that place Mm. is so she could having her be killed by the enslaved spirits at the end if she was integral to getting them all locked up in that pit in the basement right it would be like a a just ending now obviously we don't know what we're doing with her yet I know we're not talking about it but I was trying to yeah no, we I hear that. Betray her. So her whole thing has been about information, right? Like not torture. She, like, yeah, she's like been the that spy. Torture would be easy, but if she were like, she like what Sauron doing. does at the beginning, where he like grabs a hold of one of them and just sucks him for information. If she's doing that, yes, a few times over the course of the season, then it becomes a fitting end and and a a, a consequence to the path that she's been on this whole time. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Hang on. I want to come back to the, I, I, I want to come back to the whole destruction of the tower thing, the whole key to the tower business. Right. Um, and I want to try to understand it from day one. Um, that is to say, if, uh, if this is a feature, right. Like when the tower was built, this was a feature. What was the point? 
why have a destruct a self-destruct sequence built in to the tower? Like it's I've never totally understood that even like it's the him ring thing all over again. <laughs> <laughs> right. I I think the tower's just unnaturally tall. Like it's like it's not possible to actually build a tower this tall and it's held together by the the by will power. of the builders. Right. So it's not like they designed it to be a collapsible tower. It's just that it will collapse. If you kind of, I get like Baradur, right? The will of Sauron is, is, you know, so I get Baradur doesn't have a self-destruct sequence either. It's just that when the will of Sauron is removed, the foundations of the tower are removed and the tower collapses. So the, if the same thing were to be in order for the same thing to be true, Sauron has to somehow acquire that. I mean, this is this is the part that I don't I don't see that how the transaction can work, right? If the will that is supporting the Tower of Minas Tirith is Finrod's will, then how does Sauron get it, and how can he have anything to do with it? Isn't it like I mean, you can't exactly that doesn't exactly come with the lease, right? I mean, when you take it over. Yeah. I mean the spells are the spells are ongoing though. You know, it's not like it, it, like it's not like um Finrod has to maintain concentration on the spell in order to maintain it. Right. right. And no, if you like no. if you like push him off a cliff, he loses concentration and the spell <laughs> breaks down. Right? right. Right. No, it's not like that. But but if it's it's clearly linked to Sauron's will. I mean Luthien forces him to reveal it. Like it's, it seems to be transferable in some sense, in or something like that. Right? I mean, that's the vague sense that I get. I mean, this, by the way, is never something I feel like I've ever fully understood in the Luthien story. Like that. I mean, we, we've been focusing on Anil letting people in, as, right? You know, and and I think I think that's a good idea with the ghost aspect, but. If what you really need to take over the tower is the secret code to the spell that's magically holding the tower together, right? That sounds like a piece of information that Theron Glethel should ferret out before Sauron Could tries steal. to attack this tower. Yeah. Yes, like for sure. That is a piece of information that's needed. Yeah, um, yeah. If it's but see, then it kind of feels like the nuclear launch codes. Yeah. Right. You know, that like, and I don't know. I mean, like it's, we don't want to remove it from Tolkien's intent of, no, but I don't understand Tolkien's intent with it. That's my problem. Like, I don't get it. I've never really gotten this like confession. I've never really gotten this. Like what exactly does Luthien force out of Sauron when she's got him by the short hairs and then she destroys the tower. She then takes what he gives her and destroys his tower with it, right? Is, is it just an artifact of a version of the story in which the tower had never been fin, uh, Finrod's if it, in a, a version of the story where the tower I think so. was Thu's? Yes, okay. All right. All right. I think so. I think so. so. I think it's. I think that it collapses more like Baradur. Not the same because it's not upon yeah. his Sauron's destruction, but it's more like a Baradur situation. Yeah. So, and okay. that's exactly. It's exactly that. It's the supported by the will of the builder thing that I can't understand how that could be transferable. Right. right. I can't understand unless, how that could be. Unless he has to. Um, 
and re-up it in some way? Like, right. Um, it, if the key to taking over that position and maintaining it as a strong position is to for himself, to, uh, he knows that the will of Finrod is involved in the tower, and that if um, the Noldor are like this is this is the like the the problem with Tulsirian is it's a booby trap, in a sense, right? Mm. If the Noldor lose control over it, it's going to collapse and it's not going to do him any good. So it's a challenge. Here's another problem to be solved by necromancy, potentially, right? The challenge yeah. is, how can you take over Talsirion and keep it up simultaneously? And the only answer is, he's got to somehow subvert the power, the will that is supporting the tower, or replace it, right, um, with something. So, and, and, this, and so, Nick, I'm coming back to your pot of evil in the basement, right? If the pot of evil, because, like, if the... Uh, because he's using source. he's using spirits of the Noldor, right? These are Noldor yeah. spirits that he's got there, right? And so if he's kind of twisting, if one of the things that he's binding them to, they're supporting the tower by compulsion. You see what I mean? So it's a, it's a it's pit. It's a pit. It's a pit. But it's surrounded by a metal ring with runes inscribed upon it. Yeah. That they are trapped within, yes, and it's yes. it the 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 that power that he's kind of like drawing off of them is sustaining the yeah. tower. It's sustaining the tower. Yeah, okay. yeah. And when Luthien destroys it, it breaks. Tower's gone. It, it yes, but it also breaks. It breaks that metal ring. That's what that's that's the right. mechanism for the, the destruction of the town. Yeah. Them. Yes. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, and so what he reveals to her is how to do that. Like he reveals to her the whatever, like the you know, the the power, like the song by oh. which he is keeping them bound. Um, we saw the way in which already Finrod in the in the rap battle. Right. Finrod and Sauron are trying to like counter the spirits and ideas of each other's thoughts and s- songs within each other's songs, right? Um, Luthien, what she gets from Sauron in this version, what Luthien would get from Sauron would be um, like what she doesn't un- she doesn't know she doesn't know about necromancy. Nobody knows about the necromancy, right? I mean, there would have been stories from some of the survivors. Right. In some like they they would. But they wouldn't have understood about the necromancy either. Right. This is a new thing. Nobody knows this and how this works. Right. But she would get this not in the form of long exposition uh, from um, prostrate Sauron. Right. Um, uh, And so she sings her song of um, which, again, is like remember Finrod was already singing songs about um, you know, the chain that snaps and, and traps opening and that kind of thing, right? Um, but <clears throat> he didn't really understand what the trap was that needed to be opened, right? She, under- she sees the trap. She understands. Th- and so she opens the trap with her song. It's not just that her song is more powerful than Finrod's, like simply amped up higher, right? It's, it's that she has the key. She has. Yeah. She knows what the trap is. She understands the 
you know, I get to say in a really hokey way, like the secret of his power that is at the heart of Tolangarhoth, and she opens the trap and releases the... Um, she is the one who figures out it's released from... Bon- Finrod's mistake is that he was trying to open the trap that he and Baron were in, right? Um, she opens the trap that, you know, Deadway is in, and that is what um, does the trick. I'm I'm trying to think of a way to make that exchange of information not feel super clunky but we yeah. can work all that out yeah there's later. um there's uh there's a lot there's of elements of this that need yeah there's a lot of work to be done in smoothing this out and and dehokifying it in the places where it's still hokey um yeah. but i as a concept I, you know, I'm still not 100% sure about the whole replacement of the previous will of the owners with the will of the enslaved Noldor is still a little hand-wavy, but... It's Indiana Jones swapping out... <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's that's kind of exactly what Sauron did. Yeah. Wait, 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 And there's wait, a pit of wait. souls in the basement. <laughs> yeah, so... Did, yeah. did the elves down in Whoville have to <laughs> sing... <laughs> A ritual song on a particular day in the room in the chamber, which will eventually house the tub of evil, in order to sustain it. And Sauron just doesn't have time for that, so he he builds he creates the tub of evil instead. I still don't know how to get to Luthien from there, but like, is that a better transition, maybe? Like they had. If to it's not the it. will of the bill, if it's not Finrod's <clears throat> will solely, but this were shown to be, there were something. But it can't just be then. It can't simply be structural then, right? Because I mean, what kind, what kind of crappy architectural plan is it to be like, we're going to build this tower, but this tower will spontaneously collapse if we cease singing every other Thursday, you know, down in the basement. Like as long as we do the little song ritual, we're okay. But other than that, everybody's screwed, right? I mean, that's a that's a terrible design, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So it can't be just that. There have there have to be more. There have to there would have to yeah. be some kind of power, like some kind of uh, like add on. That it gives them the tower. The tower's impregnable. I don't know. Like, you can't... No enemy well, can come in if you can... No, I don't no, no, no. Know. It's, or it's, something. It's, it's about sight. It's about... Um, because it's the Tower of Guard, right? And the, um, right. this is actually a reference to a line that was in the Dark of Ragalak script where, uh, where mention is made of uh, that there's very little that... Oradreth does not see from his perch, right? Right. So right. the tower allows them to to see unnaturally far. In, in, so you're in saying the Manway does. So you're saying that Minas Tirith has a very tall tower, and in the top of which the Lord of the Tower can see things that are really far off. Is what you're saying? Yes. Yes. But that's also what you're saying. Farther than he, he would just because it's tall. Of course. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. No. Um, and he probably can't actually see the hand and mind of Feanor at work, but no. he can see pretty far. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm tracking with you here. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, we have to be a little careful not to make the magic too um, dependent. Mechanical. Upon... Right. Exactly. 
but this is exactly do things in the right order in the right way then the magic happens is not how magic happens in yeah it is a good thing we're going to have an entire session in which we talk about how magic is going to be manifested in season six because we've just like tripled the amount of magic magic that is going to be appearing in season six. So that's really good. Um, well, no, we haven't. We've, I mean, again, like there's something going on with that tower. Like this is yeah, in the no. story. This is yeah. in the story. We're just trying to make sense of what's there and make it fit within, you know, this story that we're telling. So, yeah. Okay. No. Right. So we'll iron that out there. We'll, 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 we'll th- that'll be a good opportunity for doing further work on exactly how this manifests. Yeah. We can we can we can put the, the Whoville slash pot of evil conundrum uh, in into that episode. That'll be good. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I like that. Okay. I think this is this is well. Okay. So looking back over our session this evening, that is, we've accomplished a lot, and it yes. has included. Sauron's step one. We've accomplished that. We've yes. accomplished necromancy and and um okay. Let me take that back. That could be quoted out of context theoretically. Okay, right, so we fi- we figured out the necromancy. We have not, in fact, actually accomplished necromancy in Disclaimer, no dead people were contacted during the making of this session. So, anyway, um, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's to our knowledge. To our knowledge. Any dead people contacted during this session where it was done accidentally and incidental, uh, and it is not our fault. Um, <laughs> okay. Right. So, good. Yeah. Great. Excellent. So, no, we've accomplished a great deal. Um, I don't like to think about exactly what percentage of what we set out to accomplish we have accomplished, but it is what we've done is excellent, and that's and that's good. So, what we still have to accomplish is Thuringethel. But beyond that, what more of Sauron do we? Okay, no, no. The next thing that we need, for, we didn't get to discuss the issue of what the reign of Sauron is like, right? The beginning of the reign of Sauron. Sauron sets up on his own, right? Um, we got to, sort of, we've mostly gotten to his arrival in Tolsirian. Um, what we haven't got is what does it look like when he sets up there? Nor have we decided why is he interfering himself in Dorthonian? Or, and... Let me just throw this out there. I know... I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize in advance to all the people who will hate this suggestion. And I'm not wedded to it. I just think it needs to be uh, considered. What if he doesn't? What if Barahir's band is not Sauron? Just saying. Putting it on the table. It can the be Gorlam shoved off. Gorlim. I get it. Yeah, it does. I agree. Gorlim's. A, but. Uh, but it does. There doesn't. I'm just. My immediate thought about Dorthonian is that this does not have to be a lone gunman situation. But um, it's we can we can we can we can we can sort it. We can sort it. Um, I, um, so, but we do need to sort it. We need we need to sort the mm-hmm. Dorthonian situation right and relate it to the Tall and Garahoth situation right. 
in the overall what is Sauron doing and what is his plan and how is he moving forward deal, right? Then in that context, we need to talk about Thorin Gwethel um, and figure out what her role in Sauron's new plan, right? So we've got the, the Sauronic New Deal at the beginning of this season, right? He's doing his own thing. Where's Thorin Gwethel in that, right? Um, what's her attitude towards it? What's her role in it? How does this work? Um, and then that will then lead us to her uh, perfectly just and wholly satisfying demise uh, and then Luthien looting her corpse. So um, we'll get there probably next time. Um, so good, good. And I didn't even get to the part of Sauron's story that I don't like very much uh, from this season, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, okay, good. So I think that's, so those are the things we want to focus on, um, uh, the things that we want to focus on for next time, right? We want to focus on, um, we want to focus on the the rest of Sauron's plan, connecting uh, the, the rest of Sauron's plan, what Sauron's rule is like, and his involvement in Dorthonian. Those are the two big questions for Sauron that we need to answer. And then Thorin Gwethel's involvement, and how does this then lead to her wholly satisfying and uh, generally cheerful demise. Uh, not her being cheerful. That is, us being cheerful about it. Um, yeah, so I think that will be ample for us to discuss next time. And on the subject of next time, <laughs> um, uh, on the subject of next time, um, we're going to, so the next time would be the 30th of December, but I'm not going to be able to be available that week. So I think we're just going to, we're going to have a little holiday hiatus briefly. Um, so we'll, we'll just be off for the next time for the holidays. So we're going to, we're going to plan to come back, uh, in, instead of in two weeks and four weeks, uh, on the 13th of January will be our next session when we shall return to Sauron and Thurin Gwethel. Um, but, um, this was a really fun episode, guys. Uh, I, this is a lot of uh, some challenging brainstorming happening here today and some really interesting ideas. I did not see the introduction of the Hall of Mandos in episode one coming, but the more I thought about that, the more perfect that seems with where we're going in this season. A much more satisfying frame of the season than yeah. merely Sauron trying to get his uh, at last. So I, I think that's... Uh, so some excellent progress. Thanks everybody for joining us. And we will be back, uh, in four weeks, uh, with, uh, and where we will solve all of the rest of the problems about Sauron in season six. (laughs) Thanks everybody. Have a good, uh, have uh, good holidays, everybody. And, uh, we will see you guys again in the new year. Good night. Now I should say before I go, almost forgot. Thank you for listening. And Godspeed.